This is episode 44, Tools for Transformation with Kedrick Olson. And today's guest is out of the ordinary in the best way. We're very excited to bring you this episode and I hope that you learn something new, get some new perspective, and dive into a world that maybe you didn't even know existed. But Kedrick Olson is a shadow worker in the realms of paranormal connections and pagan and heathen men's spiritual growth. From an early childhood and throughout his life, Kedrick Olson has led a paranormal life from seances at an early age to a lifetime of esoteric and occult practice, including runes and Norse mysticism. He is ideally suited to help people discover their own sacred path through the life they were always meant to have. He's also the author of Runes for Transformation, and if you're not sure what runes are, we explain it in the episode, so stay tuned for that. And some other things we talk about in today's conversation with Kedrick are apostasy, shadow work, Norse and Viking spirituality, and practical tools and tips to start incorporating this into your own search for meaning, purpose, and the life that you're meant for. So we're really sharing a lot of tools and strategies and you can kind of pick and choose what sounds good to you. If one thing doesn't land, then maybe the next will. But that's the whole point of this podcast. We just want to share new ideas and inspiration, and then you get to take what resonates with you and put it into practice. So also don't forget that if you love the podcast and it brings you value, please don't forget to rate and review or share this episode with anyone you think who might find value in it or might find it interesting. It really helps us grow and we appreciate you so much. So now on to our conversation with Kedrick Olson. Hi Kedrick, thank you so much for being here with us today. Hey, thank you for having me on. I'm excited. This is going to be a great show. Absolutely. I'm excited to dive in. And since I confirmed you as a guest, I've been telling Lauren every time we talk, I'm like, we get to interview Kedrick soon. And she's like, yes, I know. <laughs> but just for a little background for you, Kedrick, and then for the listeners, I heard you on another podcast interview that you did. And for no logical reason, I was just so drawn to everything that you were saying. I'm kind of you know, I'm on a very in a very specific point of my own spiritual journey, and luckily, I've gotten very good at just listening to my internal knowing and intuition and spidey sense. That when it's like you need to explore this further, that I'm just like, okay, if that's what we're doing next, because there's really no logical sense why I would be so drawn to the Viking spirituality and Norse culture and everything that you talk about, unless it's like, I feel like it's maybe a past life thing or something. But anyway, that's why I was just so drawn to you. And I was so excited when you gracious, graciously accepted to be a guest here. So thank you for that. And I think this conversation is going to be really interesting for, for our listeners, because I feel like you're going to give us some new language for familiar concepts. So a lot of the things that I've heard you talk about, there is familiarity and you know, I have a very deep spiritual practice and so does Lauren, but you just kind of took things a little deeper. Like there's more layers to, the, to take off basically. So I'm excited for you to just share your story. And I think that's where we should start because from what I know about you, you were really called to this path and called to this work from the beginning, right? So tell us, how you got into this world of runes and the paranormal and Norse and Viking spirituality. Yeah, actually, it's kind of funny is this was normal for me growing up, paranormal, the occult, the esoteric. It was 
completely normal. And I didn't quite understand the the ostracization from kids at school because they thought it was weird and strange. And I'm like, aren't you guys doing this all too? So I thought it was just something with me, but now it was the way I grew up. But the way I grew up is the house was haunted. I mean, extremely haunted. You set something down, it would be gone when you turn around. You'd be watching TV and the channels would change. You could hear bootsteps going down the hallway. Toilet would flush when you'd be on the, another floor. And there was always what I would call the whispers around, just the, the spirits that would talk and communicate. I, I remember being a kid on the playground in elementary school, and my imaginary friends were totally different from everybody else's. We didn't play games. We didn't do all of these imaginary adventures. Now, mine were telling me about multiple layers of reality and different beings and how to connect with things. And I'm like, but I thought that was normal. And... Growing up in my parents' basement, which was spooky in and of itself, because, you know, basements are spooky. My parents had a literal library of books. Every single wall of the basement was just lined from floor to ceiling with anything that you ever wanted to read anything about. And, of course, there were books on magic and witchcraft and the occult and the paranormal. My mom was really into the Seth Speaks book, uh, all of the channeling type things that were out there. And so I grew up reading these things, learning these things. And the way I came into the Norse was an interesting convergence of events. I was reading The Secret Teachings of All Ages, which describes the mystery practices and the secret teachings of all of these different mystery schools over the era, over the eons. And I realized that they were all saying the same thing with just different words. And in order for me to better understand what was going on, I had to come up with a single system, a single paradigm, a single spiritual practice that I could put into effect, get to working, understand it completely, and use that as my baseline to test everything against. Hmm. Well, at that time period, I found the Book of Runes by Ralph Blum, which was the popular rune book at the time. And I was listening to music by a band called Sabbat from England. They're you know crazy thrash metal band. And I found the book Way of Weird at the same time. And all of these pieces just fell into place and it resonated. And I'm like, okay, great. We're going to call the Norse path, the studying the runes and the Viking tradition as my way. This is my baseline. And so I've been studying it for years, decades. I can read the old poems and the original Old Norse, do the translations for myself, which is really helpful because there are a lot of scholars out there that do a great job of translating the old texts, but they don't understand the mysticism hidden in there. Yeah. So with me translating it with a mystical mindset and my esoteric background and the paranormal growing up, I'm able to find those little deeper secrets that were hidden in the Norse lore and bring them into the modern context so that we can use them today. And I even use runes when I do seance and I work with people in a paranormal way. So runes are an active part in just about everything I do. Yeah. And let's, let's break down that term a little bit because some of the listeners may have never heard the term runes. So what are runes? It's a very good question because today, if you were to go into a new age bookstore, you would see things like Celtic runes, witches runes, Zen runes. And that's a weird misnomer because at the very basic level, runes are the written form of the Proto-Norse and the old Germanic languages, old Norse, 
Old Swedish, Runic Swedish, the language that eventually evolved into modern day English, modern German, modern Swedish, Norwegian. And so runes literally are the alphabet for the, these old cultures. And like alphabets for old cultures, every rune not only has a phonetic value, but they're an ideogram. Each rune represents a certain idea, like the rune Uruz. It represents the letter U. It has a U sound to, to it, but it is also the primal strength of like a bison, a buffalo. It's like massive and powerful. So we use this rune for health and strength, vitality, and help somebody tap into the purest essence of who they are at the most primal level. It's a, a primal rune. And when we work with runes, it's really about finding that energy within each of us. Like, what is your runes? What is your strength? What is your primal power? Like we look at the table here. What is this table's runes? And so that's kind of how we work with runes. And when we look at things like Celtic runes, no, the Celtic cultures had something else called oam. That was what they used. Zen, well, they've got their own letter, their own alphabets, their own tradition. And I'm not saying that they're wrong. I'm not saying they're out there, but we tend to look at the word rune in the modern times as saying it's this weird little character that we don't know what it means. When I want to let you know, it's actually specifically the alphabet for the old Norse languages. Hmm. So it's kind of like a lang. Is it a language or is it an alphabet? Because it sounds like when it also represents an idea, that could be language it's too. It's all of that. It is. All so if it. you were to look at a rune, runestone, let's say carved 2000 years ago, with the word sister on it, you would be able to actually read that word sister without anybody teaching you that that's what that word meant. Because 2000 years ago, words like mother, father, sister, and brother were spoken in Proto-Norse languages the same way we speak them in modern English. And the letters that would make that up, the S, I, S, T, and R, look exactly the same in runic as they do in English, almost exactly the same. So you would be able to see that. So it is the written form of these languages, but it can be used as a form. So like if you were to have the rune manas, it is the letter M in English. But if you're writing in runic script and you just want to say, hey, here's a man out there. Well, then you could use the rune manas to represent that man as an individual. So interesting. So that's fascinating. Yeah. And it's all it's all kind of it's another tool to build self-awareness, it sounds like. So when if you're helping someone connect to themselves or, you know, I know when I first came to the world of spiritual and personal growth, I went through a full-blown identity crisis because I was leaving my old way of operating behind. And then I was like, who am I? You know, what makes me me? And so this sounds like one of the, you know, new language for a familiar concept, but it's like, how can we get to know ourselves a little bit? In fact, that's exactly a very good point. When we're going through spiritual growth, one of the things that we're never, ever, ever told about is that your initial stages and throughout it, believe it or not, throughout it, that spiritual growth can be a destructive process. You lose your identity. You lose the things that make sense to you. You lose your comfort zones as you're growing into this new person. And one of the things that really, really helps to identify who you are is to integrate a sacred symbol system. That can be the runes, that can be the tarot, that can be the I Ching. It can be any of these sacred symbol systems that are out there. Sanskrit's great for it if that's what you want to get into. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful language. It's a beautiful writing system. And that's exactly one of the ways I help people to learn the runes is 
I give them a three-step a three step process to learn the runes. First, you read about what the rune is. Like you go grab the books and you read what the rune means. Second, you take a look around in the world for what that rune represents in the world. And third, you contemplate what that is for you. Another example is the rune Fehu, represented long time ago cattle and wealth. It eventually evolved into payments and investments, and it's where we get the word fee from, from Fehu to fee. And so it represents investments, time, effort, energy. So that's how the old people in the Old Norse looked at it, right? But today it could be your capital that you're putting into starting a business. If you're studying for a degree, it's the time and that you're studying and the, the time that you're working and processing, even the money for the tuition and paying for the books is your fehu. So go back to you. What is your fehu? What are your values? What is the value that you bring to the world? And by integrating this as a sacred symbol system into you, you start to identify your own spiritual values, your own spiritual identity because of the sacred system. And it also gives you the means to communicate some of those ineffable concepts that you encounter when working with the spiritual stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what this conversation will do is if someone's in that state of breaking down before they find themselves again or or find a new way to identify it's like these are new tools that you can try on and maybe or take pieces that resonate right like you can experience this and maybe all of it makes sense and maybe some of it does but it's just it's so cool to me i love your breakdown of the three ways to learn to read them because that kind of applies to anything in the sacred space, right? Like I'm, I was mm. curious about tarot. So I read about it. I studied it. I tried it. And then all of a sudden I saw the world differently because of what it meant to me. Just like my crystals and the human design that I'm studying. Like mm -hmm. it matters what, what, when it feels, when it makes you feel something, listeners, pay attention to that. <laughs> I'll just leave it there. But I like those three steps. It's really like clear and concise and it kind of works with any spiritual element that you might be curious about. Absolutely. Even if it's colors yeah. or numbers, you know, look at the numerology of what the number one means. Look around in the world, how you see the number one and then go back to you. What does number one mean to you? And that shows you how you connect with the subtle layers of reality by your own understanding of even just the number one or the color blue. Those are sacred symbols in and of themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What is apostasy? Apostasy. This is where we get into what I like to call transcendent magic versus operant magic. Operant magic is where you've got the candles and the incense and the oils and the symbols to get you the ideal lover, the right car to get that job that you're looking for. You have a specific goal in mind for operant magic. Transcendent magic, you have no goal. There's no goal whatsoever. You are tapping into who you are at the most authentic level. No matter what the world shapes you to be, no matter what your parents told you that you need to be, no matter what the church or the community said is right and proper and moral and good, you say screw it to all of that. And then you go and explore who you really, truly are. When you find that resonance of who you really are, you start to breathe it, you start to live it, you start to experience it. You uncover that core value of who you really are and you go live that in the world. And the more you do that, the more you fuel that, and then you reach this state of self-godhood. And that's what apostasy is. 
to ascend into a higher state of being. It's another form of ascension, basically. It's a fun way of saying, I'm becoming God, because that's really kind of what it is, ascension into Godhood. But what happens with transcendent magic is you no longer have to pursue the ideal lover. You no longer have to go after the ideal car or the right job. Because you are resonating with such a strong, high vibration, those things that are in resonance to that are automatically drawn to you. You don't have to chase it. It's like your whole life becomes magic. Like you're lucky that everything runs through synchronicity. You follow synchronicity after synchronicity after synchronicity. And it's like you don't really have to put effort into it. The only effort you're doing is working on yourself, bringing yourself into a higher state of being, transcending all of the the muck and the mire of the world that you grew up in and the life that's all around us to reach this higher state of being. And ultimately, that's apostasy. Self-godhood. I have had an experience like that. And your definition and like describing it, I never knew what to call it. And I think it's an ebb and flow. Like there's levels of it. You reach it when you level level up energetically. And then you just kind of like, I sat there in my life and I was like, holy shit. This is what I've always wanted. <laughs> and then it starts flowing and flowing. And when it doesn't flow, it's because I've gotten in my own way. But it is kind of like an ascension. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 I don't even have words, but you gave them words. <laughs> it's a real thing, y'all. <laughs> well, and it's also a relief because, so Kedrick, last year for Lauren and I, surrender was the thing. It was just like, stop trying so hard. Stop making things happen or, you know, controlling with that like white knuckle fist. And it was a relief because it's like, oh, I can just, like you said, it's like, I just need to get to know myself on an authentic level, challenge these programmed beliefs that I've been using to understand the world, which is, was making everything harder. And when you can just step back and, and like you said, follow the synchronicities, just like, so that's like when I heard you and I was like, I don't know, I just feel really called to invite him to be on the podcast. I'm going to do it because that's what I'm being called to do. And you just never know what it's going to lead to. So that's, thank you for sharing that. That's very very cool. And then let's talk a little bit about shadow work because this is something that you do, you help people do. So what is shadow work and how can people use this for their own personal and spiritual growth? Absolutely. Shadow work is so important for spiritual growth. And the reason being is, is multifaceted. A lot of times with spiritual work in today's world, we've a lot of it's been filtered through the new age stuff. That it's all going to be peace, love, and light, puppy dogs and rainbows. And if you're feeling angry, if you're feeling sad, if you're feeling upset, well, that's just negative energy. And you need to get rid of that negative energy. Go burn a candle, get some sage going. You can get rid of that negative energy so you're back to the peace, love, and light, which is no. As long as you've got a... Not how, not how humans work. That's not how right. humans work, guys. As long as you've got a limbic system, <laughs> as, you, as long as you've got the biochemistry of a human body, you're going to have anger. You're going to have resentment. You're going to have frustration. And it's going to be a normal part of your existence. And so I've defined shadows. I'm expanding on Carl Jung's concept of the shadows, is that shadows are the unwanted behaviors, beliefs, emotions, or actions that prevents you from living the life that you want to have, that your soul wants to have. Now, the reason why we get those shadows is because we want to fit in. Now, if we look at it from a paranormal perspective, let's say there's a a kid with the imaginary friend. We all have had imaginary friends. And they're like, mom, 
Billy's hanging out with me today again. And mom's like, no, Billy's not real. Billy's an imaginary friend. If you keep talking about Billy, you're going to go to your room and no more playtime. So now, you know, this kid has learned like, oh, Billy's not real. I can't talk about Billy. I need to shut it down. Then they watch some horror movie where there's a kid on there playing with an imaginary friend that turns out to be real and people are dying and things are flying and people are getting hurt. And now it's like, oh, mom told me Billy was the scary demon thing. That's what it is. Right. We've got the shadow. We've got this belief now that the paranormal and communicating with beings at a telepathic level is this evil, awful, horrible thing. But wait, you have this gift. And so you're now an adult and you've got a guide trying to talk to you. And you were, you are not consciously aware of it. But at the subconscious level, you're like, oh, no, what's this? And so you're shutting it down. You're cutting it off. You're not connecting to it. Shadow work means we go into, OK, let's feel that fear. Let's connect with that fear that you have. Let's go connect into that repression that you have going on inside you. Expand it, make it bigger, make it stronger, make it super uncomfortable, ugly, and awful. Where do you feel it in your body? You're feeling it in your body. It's like, ugh, go into that feeling. Now, does that feeling, where does that feeling come from? Where did you learn this? And 90% of the time, just being aware of where you got that feeling from and where you learned that from clears that shadow. And once you got that fear out of the way and that repression out of the way, you're able to communicate with this entity and go, oh, you weren't scary this entire time. In fact, you're very helpful. And so that's the basis of shadow work is we get into those negative, ugly, awful feelings that we don't want, the, the bad stuff that people tell you to get rid of. We embrace it. We accept it as a natural, normal part of being a human. We go deep into it get uncomfortable with it so that we can learn what those shadows are really been hiding and what the secrets we have deep inside our superpowers that we've been hiding from ourselves all that time. It's all information, right? That's right. Oh my gosh. I, I literally said that to Erica this morning. <laughs> well, and I love that so much because maybe here's part of the connection with why I'm so drawn to your work is because I feel like when I was younger, I was so scared of the dark. I was so, I mean, I'm, I'm an empath. I feel things. I'm, and I'm just starting to explore my own psychic abilities and whether or not, I mean, I think if anything, it'd be more clear sentience, but when I was young, I was very sensitive, very emotional, all these things, which were all shut down by my family, by my, by society. It's like, you know, you're so sensitive. Why do you cry so much? Don't be so scared, all these things. So I think I learned to shut it off. But if I think back to like living in my childhood home, like, or even now, sometimes I'll wake up in the middle of the night with, it's not like from a nightmare, but just with a very clear feeling that someone is with me, but I'm just like, okay, whatever, it's dark. And I, so I haven't learned how to process or understand what all that is but i think there's something there so what you just said is like oh like that clicks for me a lot <laughs> so yeah we encounter a lot of that there's a lot of different paranormal beings all over the place and a lot of us are sensitive we're aware that something's in the room with us but we don't know if it's malevolent harmful of it what it is or if it's just some dude passing through going hey whatever moving on but the advice that i give for people when that happens is allow yourself to laugh Laugh with the moment. Laugh so much that your eyes crinkle so that it turns into an authentic laughter. And what that will do is it resets the energy in the space around you. So if you do have something that's a lower level bottom feeder trying to poke you for some fear energy and you're feeling that fear energy come in and you're like, but you laugh at it. You're now disrupting that energy in the room. And this thing that was trying to feed off of you with fear energy 
just got poisoned. It wants nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. It's going to move on. Even if it pokes you a little bit harder going, hey, you used to be a good source of energy. Poke, poke, poke. Just laugh even harder at it. And if it's just some dude po- popping through, he'll appreciate that energy. He'll like, oh, cool. Hey. And if you got a higher level being that's in the room that you're unsure of, it's going to tap into that energy and go, yeah, hey, we're connected. This is great. So laughter is one of the best things you can do to kind of really ensure that you're in a safe setting and that this thing isn't going to mess with you. I find that to be a powerful tool, laughter. Also for our empaths, which I absolutely am uh, by like human design, I am. If you get into a space with a lot of people, that, that like collective energy of a room full of people, sometimes I'll encounter that type of like fear energy in a group. And if I can find something or some way to get some laughter going, even if it's just me in a bathroom stall laughing at myself, it does, re- it resets you too. Like it like tricks your body out of that response. Yeah. Laughter is a really good tool to use for a lot of good spiritual reasons. So I encourage it. Even though I look staunch and stoic and brooding, laughter is an integral part of the spiritual work that I teach people to do. I love that. And maybe let's shift gears a little bit because I definitely want to give you a chance to share a little bit of your knowledge about uh, the Viking and Norse culture. And because what I was excited to learn was how much that culture is present in our modern day American culture that we really don't know about. And then also I'd love like maybe to take the the conversation too about the the Norse gods and goddesses and the masculine and feminine lessons that we can learn from that. So maybe let's like take a little crash course with Kadric and what what should we know about all this? Absolutely. The Norse culture were the people who lived in Scandinavia. You know, that's Iceland, uh, Greenland, of course, Denmark, Sweden, Norway. And, you know, they ranged out about 2,000 years ago or more. It's really hard to trace it farther past the 2000s. But Viking is a part of Norse culture, but it's not Norse culture. What Viking actually is, properly pronounced, is Viking. A Vik is a narrow strait of water. And ing at the end of a word means those who are born from or those who are of. So a viking is someone who is from that strait of water. It was really just people who sailed on boats is really what it was. And at that time, let's say around the year 1000, a little bit before 800, 900, these vikingar, they went exploring different lands. They were raiding, they were trading, and that's where they got kind of that history about them you know they would raid for example lindisfarne was a christian monastery that got raided on easter sunday so of all the horrible things for these heathens to do was to raid a monastery on easter sunday gave a really bad rap to the norse people and ultimately if we look at it a viking was a part-time summer job that people only did until they got enough money to buy a farm and settle down because a farmer was the pinnacle of Old Norse society. Mm. And today, when we look at Viking, we look at the TV shows, we look at the movies, which are about as authentic as paranormal movies. They're, they're, they're just, they're just, I can't even watch the Vikings TV show. It's a little bit too painful just to see how awful it is. <laughs> yeah. But a good show that is good is The Last Kingdom. They did a good job discussing what the Norse people were like and how they interacted with the old English people. 
So the, the last kingdom was good. And what are the things about the society? It was very, let's say, tribal. People lived in their different villages or different towns, and every town had a different point of view. Every town had a different sort of culture, a different perspective of what deity was important to them. And it wasn't really until the Christians came in, we had Samander, who wrote down the Poetic Edda. He was a Christian bishop, and he he did what people do when they write things down. He just kind of cherry-picked what was relevant. And that wasn't, that wasn't going to clash too much with the, the home office back in Rome. And then Snorri Sturluson came along in Iceland, and he wrote down a bunch of stuff. Of course, the Prosetta being one of them. And he, too, was a Christian bishop. And even he wrote in the opening, the preface to the Prose Edda, all of this weird nonsense about the Norse gods coming from another place and all of these other cultures as a way to sort of appease the home office, to not destroy this, this book and this culture. But it was all cherry-picked. And so we don't really have an accurate depiction of the Old Norse beliefs and the Old Norse practices because that never got documented. And what we have to do is we have to look at the literature of the Norse people. We have to look at the literature of people who were around the Norse people at that time period and then verify that with archaeology to see if we can get a good understanding of that. And what really kind of throws us off is totally different is if you watch the Vikings TV show, you see these grubby, ruthless, brutal people that, you know, have their hair shaved, have their heads shaved. They're just dirty and awful looking and they're just brutal. That doesn't match literature. That doesn't match archaeology. In fact, if you were to see a Viking in the time period of the Vikings, you would think you were looking at a dandy. He would have been wearing a silk shirt. He would have been wearing glass beads. He would have had very nicely combed hair. He may have had sharpened teeth, but he would be definitely wearing all of this glitzy, glamoury kind of stuff. And what really reinforces this is there is a Christian scribe who is complaining about the Danes bathing themselves regularly, combing their hair, and taking care of themselves in order to steal our women away from us. <laughs> to a kind of a completely different perspective of what these people were than what you see on TV today. Yeah. And what about the the gods and goddesses and what what can we learn from that even down to the value of the feminine in that time and that culture? Exactly. And the feminine at that time period was just as strong as the men. One of the interesting things about Iceland as a culture back in the Old Norse time period is no matter what social status you were, no matter what gender you were, you were entitled to the same education. Didn't matter. Everybody got the same thing. Women could own property. Up to a certain point, women could uh, press legal cases out of the court situation, which is called the thing. Now, in Old Norse culture, no matter where you were, the the domain of the woman was the home, but she literally owned the home. She owned everything in the house. She was in charge of the money. She was in charge of the wealth. And when guests came and she served guests, it wasn't her duty. It wasn't her responsibility. It wasn't her servitude. It was her honor. It was her stuff. And if she gave you food and drink, she deemed you worthy. She thought that was a good sacrifice it was a good use of her resources was to welcome you into the house and the men of course they went off 
to the raiding, the trading. They, their domain was outside of the house, whether that was chopping firewood or if that was going on long adventures across Europe and Asia. That was just how it was. And so that's kind of reflected in the deities. Just like in the Vedic tradition, a Norse god has a complement to a woman, like Odin has his wife, Frigg. Thor has his wife, Sif. Freyr has his sister, Freya. And in the Vedic tradition, when we get to some of the Tantra stuff, you, you realize that the masculine power is projective. It has this idea of creating an, an idea, creating a concept, but it has no energy. It has no power. It has no substance to it. It's just an idea. The feminine is the resource. The feminine is that power. And we can think of this in the Norse tradition with runes. The Norse god Freyr is represented by the rune Ingus. It looks like a diamond because it's a seed. And that seed is just this useless packet of energy and information unless it's planted in the fertile soil, which is his sister Freya, which we get with the rune Burkana. And that feminine is the fertile soil in which the seed is planted. Then you can have your growth in abundance. And that's the way we approach the Norse gods, at least the way I try to get people to approach the Norse gods, is that, yes, you're going to work with Odin, but you also want to work with Frigg. If you want to work with Freyr, you also want to work with Freya. You want to get that complementary feminine energy because that masculine energy is completely useless without the feminine. And the feminine, sorry, is completely useless without the masculine. We need a together, balanced and strong. Right. And that's what we need within all of us. We all have masculine and feminine energy. And I think that's a big part of just spiritual and personal growth is starting, you know, because I've always been more in my masculine energy. So I'm learning to trust and get to know the feminine and have that balance. But having a tool like this with which to understand that is something that can be really powerful just for people to start working with this, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's one of the things I teach men is I do work with sacred men, or I do teach sacred masculinity for pagan Mm -hmm. and heathen men. And in truth, we don't quite go into the feminine too much. The reason being is because there is a lot of feminine energy in the pagan communities. Absolutely. And men are running into that one. But I'm teaching them more how to access the sacred masculine, to identify what sacred masculinity is for them so that when they go out into the world and they approach it from that sacred masculine, they are automatically engaging the sacred feminine in the world around them because Mm -hmm. that's what they're resonating with. And they're bringing that in and ending patriarchy. No, they are (laughs) not ending anything. They are bringing a higher sense of what it means to be a man in the world to engage with the sacred feminine that's already there. I mean, and this is not a question that we prepared for, but um, in my understanding and learnings and trial and error with all of the witchcraft I'm doing, I'm finding that our culture is really, it's really masculine, obviously, patriarchy, but it's masculine and totally unbalanced. Toxic. I didn't want to use the word, but yes. But it's unbalanced and women, feminine energy can't necessarily balance it. Like we all are are responsible for balancing ourselves ultimately and finding that yin yang balance, having the uh, two sides of the gods, all of that, like you can find it in almost any spiritual practice or even like modern religion. Most of them have some element of 
the light and the dark or the yin and the yang or the masculine feminine. But we exist in this culture that is toxic masculine. And it is important for men also to be balancing the powers, you know, in and around us. I think what you're doing is super important. But do you find that to be kind of a shift for men when they realize that they have this ability to not live in the toxic way that we were all brought up in? That's, that's exactly one of the things I hope men to to learn is we get brought up in different archetypes of what it means to be a man. You know, like my dad used to be a drill instructor in the Marines. So I got woken up with him stomping at the top of the stairs, singing revelry at the top of his mouth. Mm-hmm. That, you know, some of the things that he would say was just like, <laughs> no, we're not we're not doing that. And yes, he was open to the spiritual and the paranormal. And he's the one that helped me go to the spiritualist church to learn it. But at the same time, he was brought up with that model of this is what it means to be a man. And I grew up going, I don't want to be that, but I don't know what I am. So I had kind of like the wet noodle archetype after that, going, I don't want to be this, you know, uber macho because he was wounded in a lot of ways. And I saw that. I, had no idea. And so men, we're walking through this world thinking, well, this is what it means to be a man. I, I want to be that one or I don't want to be that one. And I come to that with the approach of great. Here are all these archetypes from all of these religions, even in the Norse tradition. Here are all these archetypes of what it means to be a man. Here are what these traits are. You get to define now. You get to do that sacredness. That's part of the apostasy we talked about is what are these traits of sacred masculinity that apply to you, that resonate with you? What doesn't resonate with you? And just start to live those, be those, and go out into the world as that one. For example, I have somebody that works in, multiple guys that work in law enforcement or corrections officers, that sort of thing. And they're telling me that they worship the Norse god Tyr. And I'm like, great, what does that mean? They're like, well, when we go to bloat a ritual, I raise a horn to tear and I leave him an extra offering. And I'm like, what else are you doing <laughs> to honor tear? And they're like, what do you mean? Well, tear is about structure, about discipline, about focus, about duty, about self-sacrifice for the greater cause. How are you living your life like tear lived his life? What are you doing as your discipline? Are you getting up in the morning and doing your... your calisthenics, your workout routine, are, when you go to work, are you making sure everything is perfectly in order, that you're doing everything exact as it needs to be? Are you making sure that the work that you're doing is that personal sacrifice for the greater cause? Are you living as tier, not just raising a horn to him and saying, hey, great, that's good. That's a positive thing to do. But how are you living that way? And so that's one of the things they help a lot of guys do is to live it. Yeah. And what comes up for me as you talk about that is one, it's if you've learned that the way you're operating or the things that you've known, the subconscious programming are not working and you're in that identity crisis, learn a new way to operate mode, but you have, you don't have a healthy example of what is that healthy masculine and feminine balance. Because for me, I am, I am redefining my relationship with healthy masculine because I didn't have a lot of examples of that growing up. So in dating, I'm trying to learn how to recognize, okay, is this is this man in front of me? Does he have that healthy balance? What does that look like? So it sounds like to me, these archetypes would also be valuable for me who identifies as a woman, but is also like, I'm still learning how to recognize and be comfortable with that healthy masculine. So just learning about what these 
gods and archetypes represent. It's like, oh, this this is what aligns with what I want in a partnership. So really there's something we can all learn from it when we're exploring, whether it's just for our own growth or in partnership or whatever it might be. So that's really, that's what came up for me as you were talking. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And that's one of the things I recommend for guys and everybody. So yeah, dating is a great way to tap into your own sacred resonance. Like we were talking about before, tapping into what is important to you at a sacred level. What is that resonance and that energy that you have? And then when you're dating and you're talking, you feel that energy rising, that uplifting. That's a yes, we connect. Or if it feels heavy and it's going down, it's like, mm, no, that's not here. And I wouldn't say it so much as a red flag, but it's just like connecting and resonating with each other. And if you're getting more of that uplifting and it works for you, that's great. Go for it. Explore that even more. But, you know, but still be careful. You know, even though somebody has all this great uplifting stuff, they still may be having their shadows that they're working with. But but yeah, go trust your instincts, trust your own personal resonance and, and connect with that first and primarily. And that works for friendships, too. It's not just dating. Like when I met Erica, I felt her from across the room. I didn't know her name. I didn't even know she was the one in charge. I just knew I was going to be, I was like, got to meet her. But you just, you can feel it with, with all kinds of, with any human, really. You can feel it with animals. Some people feel it with animals. I feel it with plants, like legit. Talk to my plants. I visit different trees on my walk every morning. Like you can feel it if you're attuned to it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so I feel like there's been a bunch of tips and, you know, what we would call hacks on this on this podcast sprinkled throughout the episode, but maybe let's bring everything together and just really give some practical application tips for bringing this into the listeners' lives if they're ready to get started. So if someone is just hearing about this stuff for the first time in a, or in a new way, what would be your recommendation, like some tips for digging deeper or um, applying this to their lives? Oh, it's like what we talked about before. Look at it for what other people are saying. Look at it, what was written down about it, but don't trust it. Look at it, test it, validate it, see if it's true. Go out into the world and see if you can see examples of it. Embrace cognitive dissonance. Mm. If it seems like it seems opposite to what works for you, but yet it's working somewhere else, there's something underlying that. So embrace that cognitive dissonance and explore that paradox. See what's there. And then when you're seeing what was written, when you're seeing what's in the world and how it works, apply it to you. And then that is how you connect in a very sacred spiritual way to the world around you. And that's kind of the way you can tap into your own sacred essence is by what do you see reflected in the world around you, knowing that it's a, emanating from within you. And then how do you shift that part that's in you so that it gets reflected into the world around you in a different way? And then you build that synchronous pattern off of that just by being open-minded, by exploring and embracing what doesn't seem to be right, but does work. So that cognitive dissonance is your friend. Ooh, yeah, it's all it's all just a new set of glasses to try on and take a look around, see if you like it. If you don't, move on to the next set of glasses. But I love that advice. And you know, just because you hear something, don't trust it to be true. Be, go out and and apply it to your own life and see if it fits in and see if it feels true to you. Essentially, that's what I. That's what I'm hearing. Exactly. Always test and validate. Test and validate. Sounds like an amazing hack for any area of your life. Exactly. Well, 
Kay Drake, thank you so much for your time today. I feel like this conversation was really unique and full of a lot of things that we've never touched on in this in our podcast. So thank you for sharing your knowledge. And one question that we like to ask all of our guests is what is your all-time favorite life hack? And it can it doesn't have to be related necessarily to what we talked about, but just in general, what's something you you use in your life? Prioritize sleep. I have so many things in this world that I want to do, and I try to always amp up my productivity levels to do it. And I thought four to six hours of sleep, get up at four o'clock in the morning. Great. I'm a zombie and useless all day. But if I prioritize sleep and I get eight to nine hours of sleep, which other people will cringe at, but I get that eight to nine hours of sleep, my productivity is through the roof if I am consistent prioritizing my sleep. And it, it just blows my mind. It boosts my metabolism. It makes everything so much better by getting more sleep. And I, But that's my big hack, sleep. Our, our listeners can't see Eric and I looking like bobbleheads over here nodding <laughs> yeah. so intensely because we are both also big fans of sleep. Yes. Yes, we protect our, I'm like, I get my, I feel my best when I get in bed by nine and I'm asleep before 10 and I fiercely protect that like no other. And thanks to quarantine, I was able to actually do that a lot more. So I, I applaud that hack. (laughs) Thank you. And um, a side note with sleep for all of you that are on a spiritual journey, it takes a lot of energy and it's spiritual work is energetic work. And sleep is what really allows you to re, reboot. like revitalize yourself and like reboot and plug your battery in. So if you're exhausted, <laughs> get some get rest. Some you're only going to make it worse. Sleep. Yep. <laughs> so Kedrick, we'll put all of your information in the show notes so people can go there. But you, Great. so you have a book, correct? Runes for Transformation. Nerds for Transformation. So if you want more about what we've talked about, go check that out. And then otherwise, what's the what's your favorite way to connect people, connect with people? Facebook or Instagram. Um, everywhere. Just use my name. You'll find me everywhere. <laughs> yeah, Kadrick Olson. Well, thank you so much for being here today. And thank you for everyone t- tuning in and listening. And if you love the episode, please subscribe and rate and review. And share this with anyone who you think, you know, if you know someone who's kind of an – Uh, on a spiritual journey and might be open to this information, just share the episode with them. Maybe they'll be called to listen. And otherwise, just remember to stay stay curious. curious. Disclaimer. This podcast is produced for your universal listening pleasure. Any statements shared during our program are opinions and experiences of our team and guests. If you disagree with any content presented herein, please find another show before submitting nasty grams. This is a positive vibes only platform. If you love our show and want to connect, share your experiences, or know someone who we should interview on future episodes, please don't hesitate to get in touch through our website or Instagram. Thanks for listening to this program brought to you by Daydreamer Network. If you enjoyed the episode, please don't forget to rate and review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred platform. Your feedback allows us to rank on the best new shows list and continue to grow our podcasts in order to bring more unique and talented storytellers to the network. To check out our shows, including programs about relationships, sports, business, nutrition, leisure, and more, head to www.daydreamernetwork.com. We look forward to seeing you back next week for another great episode. Have a wonderful day.